let's, let's just get into the Word of God, right? So, Lord, we just pray that you'd open up our hearts, that you'd speak to us, and that we would, um, that we would receive. And so just have your way with us tonight for your glory. Amen. Okay, so Wednesday nights, we're doing a recap of part of what we've been reading this past week as a church going through the Bible in a year. And so um, this past week brought us through the end of the book of Matthew into the Gospel of Mark. Next week's going to take us uh, through the end of the Gospel of Mark, and I think we'll read Luke chapter 1 next Wednesday morning. So um, we're moving pretty fast-paced through the Gospels, and it's going to be kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I like this plan as we have it, but part of the challenge is it doesn't really compensate for the density of some of the passages that we're going to be reading. Um, you know, 20 chapters a week, going through Jeremiah, that's a great pace. But <clears throat> we're going to get in, you know, we're in the Gospels, right? We're unpacking the life of Jesus. We're going to be going into, um, just in a couple months here, you know, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Hebrews, Peter's epistles, James, 1 John. You know, there's so much of what it means to be a Christian and what does it mean to, to have a biblical worldview that we're going to cover in like a whopping three weeks, right? <clears throat> um, so it's going to be fun. But, um, but anyways, this week gave us a lot of the gospel of Matthew. And, you know, we're not going to do a ton of the overview of Matthew that we did last week. We're going to kind of jump right in. But um, Matthew, as I was reading through it this week, you know, I'm always trying to gauge, like, what's the Lord saying to me? Because I want to have, I want to be able to share something as a teacher, right, that's going to be effective and it's going to have bearing to the church. But I want to hear what the Lord's saying to me. And I'm still learning how that balance works. But I'm learning more and more that oftentimes if the Lord wants to say something to my heart, and I share that, I stand a much better chance of sharing what the Lord is saying and not sharing just what Nate thinks is interesting. So, this week, Nate thought this was really interesting, but that's what the Lord was saying. Um, so if you would, turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. And um, if you've been familiar with the Bible for a while, um, well, actually, if you're not familiar with it at all, you know the chapter before 25 is chapter 24, Right? And Matthew 24 is a very iconic uh, chapter on end times. It's Jesus saying, here's what's going to happen at the end of the age. And there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things you can spend a lot of time on that. And we're not going to. We're going to skip it all. But uh, usually, people will emphasize chapter 24 and 25 together. Because chapter 24 is Jesus saying, here's what's going to happen. Chapter 25 is Jesus saying, here's what you do about it. All right? And what we're going to do is we're going to actually switch it up just a little bit. We're going to start in chapter 25 by talking about what do you do about it, and then we're going to look at chapter 26, because Matthew, in his narrative, we're not going to read all of 25 and 26 tonight, but Matthew, in his narrative, actually gives us some illustrations and examples of how this plays out. So, um, so we're going to start in 25, but you do have to have a little bit of context to understand what's coming right before that. So chapter 24 is all about Jesus saying, Basically, the end of the world is going to be bad. It's going to be rough. And he's kind of answering, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to get way into it. He's answering a couple of different questions that the disciples have asked. And so there's kind of a couple of different points in an end times prophecy that he's explaining. And, um, and that's all important. But for tonight, we're going to look at kind of the response, okay? So the summary of 24 is things are going to be really bad, and you need to be paying attention. And don't get caught up in this groove of thinking, well, the Lord hasn't come back for 2,000 years. Obviously, he's not coming back tomorrow, right? Don't get stuck in this groove. And so that's where we're kind of picking up. 
And so in chapter 25, verse 1, Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will become comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. So Jesus is giving them here a parable that has a lot of cultural context that we're not going to be able to go into necessarily tonight, just because we've got a time constraint. Okay, but he's talking, he's giving them basically the parable of a wedding. And the groom is coming, and this is cultural. If you're thinking this feels weird that there's ten virgins and a bridegroom, it's not. In the cultural context, it's totally not weird. Um, but he's given us an analogy, okay? And we're going to see, you know, the Bible tends to give us consistent analogies. So consistently, the Bible refers to the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church as the relationship between a bride and a, a groom and a bride. And so he's giving us this metaphor to kind of say, hey, he, hey, I'm the groom, and I'm giving you guys an opportunity to glean your response. So he's saying... Um, there's these ten virgins. Five of them are foolish. Five of them are wise. They've got to wait for the groom because they don't know what time he's going to be coming. And in Galilee at the time, the way weddings worked, when the groom decided, like, it's time to go, we're having this wedding ceremony, he up and went, right? Like, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't all the save the date card and then the invitation card. It was like, no, it's right now, all right? And so, so that's the context we're getting here, all right? And there's they're supposed to be ready and waiting because they're supposed to have a procession. They're supposed to be able to form this wedding procession to escort the groom to his bride's house where he can then, you know, where they can take, have the wedding ceremony, all right? So what you've got going on is these 10 girls are waiting and they don't know exactly when he's going to be coming through town. So it might be in the middle of the night. It might be in the middle of the day. But if it's the middle of the night, you don't have street lights. You don't have, you know, you need lamps. And so... They have to have a certain amount of oil in their lamps to be ready to go. And it takes the, gro- the groom doesn't come right away. So they get drowsy. They f- some of them, f- they fall asleep. And it's not condemning them for falling asleep. But what's going to happen here, and, the, and it goes on from there, it says verse 6, But at midnight there was a shout saying, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. So, Here's what we got to understand from this. You know, you can, I have heard hour plus messages delivered on this and understanding the Hebrew wedding and all of its significance. And there's a ton of stuff here, okay? But in a nutshell, there are opportunities that come and go, right? And how prepared we are in life is going to impact whether or not we get to receive those opportunities, whether or not we get to embrace those opportunities. Now, specifically in this context, Jesus is talking about watching for the last days, watching with an awareness that he's coming back, right? And that's significant because we are living in the last days. And it really doesn't matter what you think uh, as far as end times prophecy. It does, but it doesn't in terms of last days. Because Peter announced on the day of Pentecost that this is the, the falling of the Holy Spirit, according to the prophet Joel, is a sign of the last days. So we've been in the last days for 2,000 years, 
Okay, so we're in the last days. We don't know the day or the hour. But there's a very, you know, we could go in depth, but there's a very straightforward application on this parable, which is that you don't know the day or the hour, so you need to be ready, right? It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the night. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle of the day. You need to be ready. Now, interestingly, specifically what they weren't ready with was oil. And we've talked about before in the scripture, there are, you know, the scripture gives giving us history. It's giving us straight up teaching, okay? And it's important to not turn the scriptures into fairy tales or allegories, but the scripture does give us types, and it'll give us pictures, and we can, we can glean lessons from these. We can say, okay, um, you know, Israel crossing the Red Sea to leave Egypt is in some ways symbolic of us crossing through the Red Sea of God's blood that Jesus shed to leave the world of sin. Egypt tends to always represent a type of sin, a type of the world system, right? So to leave Egypt, you have to go through the Red Sea. Well, for us to leave sin, there's a little bit of a Red Sea that we go through, right? And we talk about, you know, the promised land isn't necessarily a type of heaven, but it's a type of walking in victory in this Christian life here on earth because there are battles and there are challenges, but there's also immense victory, right? And so we've talked about these types, okay? Well, one of the types in the scriptures is oil. And oil is always a type of the Holy Spirit. It's always a picture of the Holy Spirit. So if you want to look at it in that way without, take, without trying to change what Jesus is saying, all right, it's very uh, appropriate to look at this and say there were ten virgins. Five were foolish, five were wise. And the foolish ones took no Holy Spirit with them. And the wise took the Holy Spirit with them. And when the time came, they were ready because they had the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about being ready. We're talking about watching. Because in chapter 24, Jesus is saying, hey, you don't know when it's coming, so you need to be ready. So how do you be ready? Well, step one is you make sure that the Holy Spirit is involved. Right? If we want to be ready, if we want to be faithful, if we want to be found watching when He comes, we are not going to do that on our own strength. We're going to do that through the Holy Spirit. We don't, you know, human beings cannot create light, right? We can create objects that bear light, right? We don't go in the dark. We just don't. It's just kind of, you know, unless you, never mind. Um, <laughs> we don't go in the dark, right? But we have an obsession with making light. That's part of, you know, when we're made in the image of God, God's the creator. God created light as the first thing that he made on earth. And we are obsessed as humans with making light. I mean, just look at this room, right? If we shut off all the lights in this room, this room would be really dark. But as a people, as, as part of what it means to be human, we love light, all right? And so if we want to have light in our lives, in a spiritual context, we need the Holy Spirit. If we want to be ready for Jesus to come, whenever he comes, we need the Holy Spirit. That's step one, if we're going to be ready. Step two, he goes on and um, he tells a second parable. And he says, for it is just like a man, and he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, kind of you know, in that mindset. Uh, for it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. So real fast, when it says slaves, we're talking about a completely different cultural context than what we think of in the U.S., okay? Really, employees is, is 
much closer. In terms of our understanding of the word employee today, that's much closer to what the word slave would have meant back then. So don't get stuck on that for right now. Um, when it says he gave one five talents, he gave somebody else two talents, he gave somebody else one talent. A talent is a lump of money. Uh, it's a specific amount. I've, it's so many years wages. Okay. He gives them each a certain amount of money. And then in verse 16, immediately the one who had received five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who had received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, what's interesting is in verse 15, it says he gave one person five talents, he gave another person two talents, he gave another person one talents, each according to their own ability. Okay, so again, we're looking at a parable. Jesus is giving us the parable. This, the man going on a journey is, is God, okay? He's on a journey. He's left. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He said he's preparing a place for us, right? He's on a trip. He's up there waiting to come back and get us and then take us back home, okay? So he's gone on a journey, and he's left us, or in this case, he's left these servants with a certain amount of money, with a certain amount of, of wealth, a certain stewardship, and it says he gave each one according to his ability. And that's super critical for each one of us because we're all given gifts, right? We are all, these guys were given talents that equaled money, but we're all given talents that equal skills and abilities and opportunities, right? And the Lord doesn't give us in greater or lesser proportion than we're able to respond to. Now, we're going to have a responsibility to choose what we do with them, but the Lord gives gifts to people according to their ability, and he gives us gifts, expecting us to do something with them. So we're going to see what happens here. Um, verse 19, Now after a long time, the master of these slaves, or think of it again, kind of like employees, came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Into the joy of your, enter into the joy of your master. So notice, one guy got five talents and doubled it. One guy got two talents and doubled it. And they get the same commendation from the Lord. Right? The Lord does not say, why couldn't you get 10 talents with your two talents? You know, Joe over here ended up with 10 talents. Why didn't you end up with 10 talents? Right? Because what did the Lord do? He gave to them each according to their ability. And that is, I find that super comforting. Because, you know, there are Christians who I look up to, who I think, man, I'd love to have a ministry like that. I'd love to be as effective as that or, or have as far reach as that or be as famous as that, you know, if I want to be honest. It'd be kind of nice to have people ask me to sign books or whatever, right? But I may not have been given five talents, right? I'd say probably most of us in the room are kind of in the two-talent camp, right? Um, you know, like there are some people who you look at and you're like, that guy got five talents, like just no question, right? And then there's, and, and but honestly, we do, we live in the U.S. We live with a certain amount of wealth and privilege that a lot of the world just doesn't have. So we have a lot more just by virtue of where we were born. It's not because of our brilliance, but we've got more than a lot of the rest of the world, right? So we're not quite, you know, kind of in the middle somewhere. We're kind of two-talent people. We're a two-talent church, right? Um, 
which is great. We can receive the same commendation from the Lord as any other believer in all of church history, right? I mean, you think about that. There's been a lot of faithful believers. There's been a lot of faithful martyrs. There's been a lot of people who have done amazing things for the Lord, and we can hear the same response from the Lord when we enter into heaven. If we take our two talents, coupled with the fullness of the oil of the Holy Spirit, and stay on watch, stay ready, stay doing the work of our master. But here's what happens next. Verse 24, and the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you didn't sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your town in the ground. See, you have what is yours. So he says, you know, hey, look, I didn't want to mess up. I figured better safe than sorry. So I decided, you know what, you didn't lose anything on me, right? I wasn't like a bad investment. So here you go. Here's your talent back. And verse 26, his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I, didn't, where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to one who has the ten talents. So it's kind of a sobering parable, honestly, right? You get this guy who's like, you know, I just kind of wanted to play it safe. And the Lord says, you are a wicked, lazy person, right? And this is, you know, sometimes we like having this American ideal of Jesus, where he's this nice, soft guy who, you know, just is super fun and kind of cuddly or whatever, right? That's really not who Jesus was. He's the lion and the lamb. And what's amazing about that is not that he's the lion and the lamb. It's that when he's the lion, he doesn't lose any of that lioness to become the lamb. It's not like he's a nice lion and a lamb. It's he's a lion and he's a lamb at the same time. And how does that work? I have no idea. But I'll have all eternity to figure it out. But the... We're given talents, right? We're given opportunities. We're given privileges from the Lord. And the Lord <clears throat> right here would say, I would rather you use them, even to whatever degree. He said, you could put it in the bank with interest. Do you know how much interest the bank pays you to leave your money in their account? If you leave your, and I, I know this for a fact, actually. If you leave your money in the bank <clears throat> and you get paper statements from the bank, like where they actually mail you the envelope that says, how much is in your account? The interest they will pay you is less than the amount they'll charge you to put the stamp on your envelope. You'll lose money, okay? Um, it, it's, it's like it's a losing game. And right now, you can get our German-American, if you go over there, they have this special deal where if you put $1,000 in what's called a CD, um, where basically you lock it up for a year and you can't touch it, they'll pay you 1% interest. That means if you lock up $1,000 for 12 months at the end of that, you get another $10 on top of that. That's, I mean, that's like, that is the pathway to success right there, right? Um, I mean, just think, I mean, like, that's, that's just so amazing, right? And the Lord says, you could have at least done that, right? He says, I don't, I, he didn't say to this guy, you needed to double. He says, you could have put it in the bank. You could have done anything with it, right? And so, you know, understand, this is where it's easy to kind of steer down 
from a teaching standpoint, this path of, you know, what are you doing for Jesus and are you working hard enough for Jesus and all of that. And I don't really want to go there because I don't think that's the main emphasis of what the Lord is trying to say. Uh, it's a significant point, but as we're looking at this, what's his point overall in context? Right? He's talking about the end of time. He's talking about the end of the age, the return of the Lord. And the summary is you've got to be ready. You've got to be watching. Right? If I get handed a chunk of money from a professional investor and he says, I'll be back in 12 months, do something with it, I'm going to try pretty hard to do something with it. Right? If I get handed a chunk of money from an investor and he says, I'll be back at some point, do something with it, there's a little less motivation because, you know, oh, there's room for some market fluctuation and all this stuff. But, but the point is, the Lord has given us these things and he expects us to do something with them. The Lord does not waste his gifts. If we don't use them, they will still get used by the Lord. This man's talent goes to the guy who had 10 talents. The Lord is going to use things for his glory. The Lord is going to make things work out. But along the way, there are blessings and rewards that come to those who steward the things of God well, right? And so if we want to be on watch, if we want to be ready for the Lord to come, then we need to live like people who are expecting a return on their investment, right? So what are we investing? What are we putting our efforts into? What are we hoping to gain? And I'm not saying this, you know, this isn't like a, I gave, you know, $100 to the church, therefore I expect this amount in return. That's not what we're doing. We're saying, I've been gifted certain privileges from the Lord. I want to do something with that. I want to bless the Lord. Jesus tells a very similar parable in another one of the Gospels. And there's this interesting thing where the guy who says, hey, you know, I got turned my two into, he changes it up a little bit. So one guy says, hey, I wound up with five. And Jesus says, great, you're now in charge of five cities. So the Lord isn't just working in like numbers that we can crunch, right? The Lord's working in eternal rewards and we can't establish and fully understand what they all are, but the Lord is expecting us to be responsible. And specifically, if we tie this in with the parable right in front of it, it becomes super liberating because we're not responsible for it in our own strength and ability, right? We're not responsible for it in our own financial prowess, right? We're responsible for it by doing what? by making sure that we have plenty of oil, right? So making sure we have the Holy Spirit. You know the beautiful thing is about the Holy Spirit? How do you get enough of the Holy Spirit? You ask for it, right? Jesus said, if anybody thirsts, let them come to me, and I'll give them rivers of living water, right? If you want living water in your life, if you want the Holy Spirit active and present and moving and guiding you, there's this whole, there's this really profound ritual you have to go into a very special place. It's called planet Earth. And you have to get into a very special position. It's called any position you want. And you have to say, God, I want more of your Holy Spirit. Right? There's a couple promises that the Lord gives us. If you lack the Holy Spirit, ask and I'll give it. If you lack wisdom, ask and I'll give it. So if I want to be ready and willing to, and able to go whenever the Lord gets back, I want to be asking for the Holy Spirit. If I want to be using the talents wisely that the Lord is giving me, I want to be filled with wisdom. So there's a, there's a responsibility on my end, but what is my responsibility really? It's to ask faithfully, right? It's not like I have to do something or, or chalk it up to a certain number of accomplishments. No, it's you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and you've got to be filled with wisdom. 
And if you want to be ready for the Lord when he returns, that's the summary of what we got to do. So we're all given these opportunities to respond, right? Some of us might have one, some of us might have two, some of us might have five, but we're all given them. And we're all given the same promise from God to give us his wisdom and give us his Holy Spirit. So it's a question of how then will we respond? And this is where Matthew gives us a really interesting thing here because he then goes on into chapter 26. In chapter 26, we're not going to read the whole thing, but um, in a nutshell, the first part of chapter 26, you have Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Judas kind of initiates the whole thing, goes to the priest and says, hey, I'm willing to betray Jesus to you, all right? And then later on in chapter 26, you have what we call the Last Supper, uh, which is where Jesus, you know, kind of institutes communion. There's a, all kinds of stuff you could teach on that. But specifically, we're going to pick it up in um, oh, we're going to start in kind of verse 31. We might skip around just a little bit. But this is at the Last Supper. In verse 31 of chapter 26, it says, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I've been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter said, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. So we get this interesting thing here where Jesus says, guys, here's what's going to happen, right? God himself says, here's what's going to happen. And Peter, we talked about Peter last week. Uh, Peter says, no, I don't really think that's what's going to happen. I mean, I know you're God. You're pretty awesome. But I have some fantastic insights about my own abilities and that I don't think you've fully appreciated yet. So let me explain to you what's actually going to happen, right? Peter says, God, look, you think I have five talents. I have six and I'm about ready to do some amazing stuff with my six talents. If you just would step back and watch, I think you'll be impressed. And it's interesting, the Lord really doesn't argue with him. The Lord doesn't really waste a lot of time arguing with Peter. The Lord rebukes Peter when he needs to, but throughout the Gospels, the Lord will sometimes shut him up. Um, but the Lord just keeps moving on, because the Lord's got a lot of stuff to do. And so in verse 36, then Jesus came with them, uh, to a place called Gethsemane, so they've left the Last Supper. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I, go, while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be grieved and distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here to keep watch with me. So at this point, you know, at this point, there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. Jesus understands things are all coming to a head, right? And he is in intense agony and in a way that we cannot even possibly understand you know he's fully aware of the physical elements that are coming but he's somehow fully aware of the spiritual elements too and and that's such you know what happened on the cross physically we can kind of wrap our heads around what happened spiritually the bible doesn't really give us a ton of elaboration and it's so profound that in some ways we really shouldn't try to over understand it right but there's a lot that happens there when jesus says my god why have you forsaken me Right? So there's a lot going on here. Jesus is in distress. We're told um, in Luke, I think, that he's sweating drops of blood. Okay, that happens when you're under intense pressure. It's, a, it's an actual physical thing that can happen. It happens to Jesus here. Okay? 
And he says, guys, so he's with the 11 disciples at this point because Judas has already left. And he says, all right, I, he says, you guys sit here. I'm taking the three of you, Peter, James, and John. We're going to go a little farther into the garden. He goes with these three. And he says, all right, guys, I am in distress to the point of death. I'm so stressed out I could almost die right now over my stress. So stay here and just stay awake. All right, just kind of keep an eye on things. That's really not a tall order, right? Like, keep an eye on things. Stay awake. And he went a little beyond them, verse 39, and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So, you men could not keep watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So Peter, at dinner time, says, God, I don't care what any of the other disciples do. I will die for you. And a little later, Jesus has to say, so I know you said you'd die for me, but could you stay awake for an hour for me? Like, could you, you know, your big promises are great, right? And this is, this is true of all of us, right? We like making big promises. We hate making small applications, right? I mean, you think about like, okay, just think about a wedding ceremony, right? The husband promises to love his bride in sickness and in health and better and worse and richer and in poorer, right? That's all great until she says, would you take out the trash, right? Like the big stuff is easy to say, right? But sometimes those little things, those little, you know, sometimes it's easy to be like, you know, if I had five talents, I could really do a lot for the Lord, right? Well, that's great. You got two. What are you going to do with it? Well, I just, I don't have five. So what? Who gives a rip, right? You got two. Do something with your two, right? Jesus says, hey, Peter, couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Watch and pray. And this is where I love how Matthew's tying this together, okay? Jesus just got done giving a whole sermon about be on the watch, right? Be ready for what the Lord is doing for when the Lord comes, because it might even happen at night. And then a night or two later, He's there with Peter, and Peter can't stay awake for an hour, right? And here's the deal. Peter is doing two things. He's relying on his own oil, and he's relying on his own talents, his own wisdom, right? We talked about if you want to handle these things well, we need the Holy Spirit, and we need wisdom. Peter right now has dropped both of them in the pursuit of what Peter thinks makes Peter awesome, right? Which is what? Peter. Right? What makes Peter awesome? It's Peter, right? It's all of his, you know, fishing acumen over the years, right? It's all these good things. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not wisdom. No, 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 no. It's, it's just my simple awesomeness. Thank you very much, right? So Peter is all ready to make these big promises for the Lord. And the Lord says, can't you stay awake for just an hour, right? And we're going to kind of, we're, getting, we're kind of getting close on time, so we're not going to read everything else, okay? But, you know, it goes on from there. After Peter can't stay awake for an hour, Jesus gets arrested. And Peter follows Jesus, and we'll give him some credit for that. He probably was trying to, uh, you know, see if he could maybe do something for the Lord. But then he gets scared. And somebody says, hey, weren't you with Jesus? He says, no, I wasn't. And they say, no, no, wait, weren't you with Jesus? He says, no, I wasn't. And the third time, it actually says he began calling down curses. And that doesn't necessarily mean he was swearing. It means, like, he was calling down curses on himself. Like, may God strike me dead if I am lying to you right now because I have never met Jesus. 
that's a pretty intense uh, shift, right, from like an hour or two before. But if we are living without oil, that's the kind of shift that we all make, right? And Jesus' exhortation to Peter is really simple. He says, watch and pray, right? He didn't give Peter this whole giant formula. He said, hey, just keep your eyes open and keep praying. And sometimes we want, you know, we want the big stuff sometimes, right? We want God to tell us, you know, go stand on a mountaintop and, and call down fire or something. You know, do something big, right? Well, watch and pray. That is just not all that exhilarating. Have you ever noticed, like, prayer, it's like, have you ever tried to pray for half an hour straight? Have you ever tried? <laughs> At about the 10-minute mark, you're, like, not panicking, but you're like, I think I've prayed for every single person I know. Like, there's nothing left to pray for in the world, right? I mean, like, we just, we are so not used to it because we live in this world that teaches us that, no, 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 prayer is completely insignificant. We live in a world that's so physically oriented that the idea of understanding that God operates in a spiritual realm, even if we understand it conceptually, we very rarely grasp it in the depths of our soul, right? But Jesus gives two instructions to Peter. He says, watch and pray. Peter doesn't watch. He falls asleep. And Peter doesn't pray. And we can say that with some certainty because prayer orients us with the heart of God, right? Prayer lines up our will with God's will. And in the garden, when Jesus gets arrested, before Peter denies Jesus, okay, Jesus is getting arrested. And in Matthew, it tells us... um, Well, we'll read it. Verse 51. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. And then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place. For all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you not think that I can appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? How then will the scriptures be fulfilled which say that it must happen this way? Now, Matthew doesn't tell us. Uh, actually, John is the one who tells us in his gospel that this was Peter, all right? Peter, in this moment, all right, Jesus is getting arrested. Crud, I fell asleep. I didn't pray. I've got to do something to salvage the situation. I'll start, sw- I'll start lopping off heads, right? Like, what a perfect solution when everything's going wrong. Let's just knock a few heads off, and we can start this revolution our way. And Jesus shuts it down right there because Jesus understands Peter, you are completely missing the point. So it's not a stretch to say Peter really hadn't been praying because Peter's will and God's will are not aligned. All right? So we got to watch and pray. And this is, you know, this is, this is what I love about the gospel. This is what I love about Christianity is it's so simple and I can spend the rest of my life unpacking it at the exact same time. Right? What do you want to do if you want to be effective? You stay filled with the Holy Spirit. You stay filled with wisdom. How do you get those? You ask. How do you ask? You pray. Right? Watch and pray. Because the Lord's doing something. The Lord is stirring something, right? I mean, um, there's been a lot of stirring going on in the last two years. Has anybody noticed? Like, a lot of stirring. Right? Well, when things start stirring, that means the Lord is doing something. It means the Lord is handing us opportunities. Because when things get stirred up, people get nervous. When people get nervous, they start getting receptive. They start opening up, and all of a sudden, things start shifting, and the Lord is presenting us with opportunities, but he's also presenting us with a challenge, which is watch and pray, 
okay? So if we want to get effective at these things, we lay down habits, right? And this is where, you know, there's the whole element of you, you want to be faithful to the Lord, you just got to stay anchored to the Holy Spirit. There's a, another side which is, you know, and the Holy Spirit's going to do the work. There's another side which is, you know what? There's a lot to be said for some practical discipline in life, right? If you want to orient yourself with the heart of God, it's not a bad idea to start every morning with prayer. It's not a bad idea to start every morning with the Word of God, right? Because we get good at habits. I was, I've been laughing about it all week because um, I was at a, we were at a conference this week. And long story, they, they needed somebody who could run the slides for the projectors during worship, and I got drafted. Um, and so I wound up sitting in the back for all the teachings. And we had, it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. There were nine, like, hour teachings over three days. That's a lot of teaching to sit through, Okay. But no lie, there was one guy in that audience who stood up and went to the bathroom nine te- out of nine teachings. I'm like, and, and you know, he wasn't an old guy. If he was an old guy, I would have cut him some slack and said, you know, hey, whatever. Dude's like 19 years old. About the 25-minute mark of every teaching, stood up, walked out, came back in. I could tell it wasn't a major medical problem because he always came back in with a new mint in his hand. So I figured like, okay, um... And one of the teachings went a little long, and he got up three times. And, and, and maybe I was getting distracted, but I'm like, I think this guy has laid down some habits in his brain. That at about the 20-minute mark, he has trained his brain to tell his bladder, to tell his brain, dude, you got to go do something. All right? This guy has laid down a habit. And by golly, he's laid it down pretty well. Like, he's got this thing timed. And I, by the end of it, I was kind of rooting for him. Like, session eight and nine, I was like, Come on, we got to do, we, you know, you can do this. You can go 100%, and he didn't disappoint. But, but we lay down habits, right? If you want to watch the Word of God transform your life, sometimes it might take a habit of reading the Word consistently. If you want to watch what prayer can do, I heard a pastor a few weeks ago. He said, and he was quoting somebody else, so I have no idea where this originated. He said, you pray until you've learned to pray. And then you pray until you have prayed. And then you keep praying. Right? Because really, I don't think any of us have any real idea of how powerful prayer is. Right? We just don't. I, don't. I don't think we have the slightest idea how powerful prayer is. Okay? But we're told to watch and pray. We're told to stay filled with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. And we get, we get the privilege of watching Peter make the mistake of not doing what the Lord instructed him to do. But, and this is the beautiful but of Scripture, we also get the privilege of watching Peter do it the right way. Okay? Because on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down, Peter changes all of a sudden. Right? Peter, who cannot stay awake for an hour, who cannot line up his will and God's will, who cannot acknowledge he's ever met Jesus, stands up, in front of one of the biggest crowds that would ever hit the city at that time of year, right? And proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ with boldness. And he's able to call out the high priest and tell them, you murdered Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? 3,000 people get saved. I love, there's a pastor up in Maine who made an observation. He said, you know what? Peter, when he's not filled with the Holy Spirit, he grabs a sword and he swings and he misses. Right? Because you don't start a revolution by swinging off ear, by knocking off ears. Right? He was going for the head. All right? And he missed. Peter's a bad aim. 
and a failure and misaligned with God's will apart from the Holy Spirit. Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Peter can't even cut one man in his own strength. When Peter gets filled with the Holy Spirit, the phrase that the book of Acts uses is that they were cut to the heart. Peter couldn't cut off one man's head in his own strength. He could cut 3,000 men to the heart with the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit on one day. A couple weeks later, he did the same thing again to another 2,000 people. Okay? So we get this privilege in the scripture of saying, you know, here's what we're called to do. Right? Stay filled with oil. Use the talents God's given us wisely. Right? Watch and pray. Here's what happens when you don't. Here's what can happen when we do. Right? It's, you know, it's, it's right there for us. It's our opportunity. It's our invitation. The Lord is opening that up for us. Right? To watch and pray. So, with that being said, let's pray. God, we want to really glean the lessons that you're saying to us tonight. We want to be people who can watch and pray. We want to learn the lesson of the, the ten virgins and the, the three servants. We want to be good stewards of the gifts you've given us. We want to be ready. God, we want to be ready for your return. Um, ready to go when you come to get us. But simultaneously, uh, just in the time we have, however short it is, and it may be very short, we want to use it wisely. We want to be doing our Father's business here on earth. So we pray that you would do that work in our hearts, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would transform us by your word, that you would make us like Peter, people who don't rely on our own strength, but people who are willing to let you work through us. We pray for a fresh falling of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts. God, don't let us hold back just because we're scared or unsure or feel weird or whatever, but I pray that your Holy Spirit would transform each of us in this room, that we would experience the baptism of your Holy Spirit, the fullness of all the gifts and the power that you want us to experience. I pray that your love would transform our hearts and that the world would recognize that transformation by how we treat each other and by them. I pray that you would just have your way with us, God, for your glory, for your kingdom, that you would be exalted. And it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our King, that we pray. Amen.